Judge, ripped from the case files with Donna Harris, actual arresting officers from the United States Postal Inspection Service, and stories of greed, deception, and fraud. Now your host, Donna Harris. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Behind the Badge, Ripped from the Case Files of Postal Inspectors. This is Donna Harris, your host. And when I think of this this particular podcast in this case, I think of, oh, what a tangled web we weave when we first practice to deceive. And in this case, it was serious deception. It wasn't a porch pirate, but an eBay pirate. So joining me today is Postal Inspector Rick Johnston from the Miami Division, who's going to tell you a a story that's going to be very interesting, and especially this time of year when we start shopping for the holiday and thinking about what's coming in the mail in the form of a gift card. So welcome to Behind the Badge, Inspector Johnston. So tell us about this story. Thank you, Donna, for having me on. Um, This story started back in January of 2018. I'm stationed in Orlando here, and I was contacted by a detective uh, from the Dyer, Indiana Police Department. He contacted me saying that uh, at some point in time, in January 2018, a resident in his community received a priority envelope that uh, contained something they thought was suspicious, so they contacted his police department, which they responded out to their location to see what had happened. Um, Apparently, the envelope contained some type of packing wrapping on it um, inside the envelope and was pretty much useless, just had pretty much garbage inside of it. Uh, The customer receiving the package thought it was suspicious, so he contacted uh, the police department, they responded out, and as a result of his investigation, he started to look at um, where the package was sent from. He noticed that uh, the package was sent from an address uh, in my area here in Central Florida, um, in in Orlando, and uh, he wanted some help uh, from the Postal Inspection Service to try to determine why is it that somebody would send an envelope such as this uh, containing plastic wrapping inside of it. Um, so that's what I did. Uh, I began my investigation here in Orlando. Uh, and so about February or so, I began to look uh, deep into the case and noticed uh, that there was the address, the return address of the envelope that went to Dyer, Indiana, was um, here in a local community called Longwood, Florida. So we paid a visit. Uh, ultimately to the uh, owner of that particular residence where we thought the package was sent from, or at least that's where the envelope said it was sent from. And we interviewed uh, those people and they told us that they had not sent that package, but as a matter of fact, they had received several return envelopes where um, containing miscellaneous items in them that they did not send, but that their address was being used as a return address. And he had a box of several different uh, mailings that he had received that were returned to him. Let me ask you this question. So um, one thing, uh, backing up a little, so um, the detective contacted you. Is that normal practice that generally we um, work with um, other agencies? So that's pretty normal in, in the course of our work or no? It is. It is normal. Um, we're consistently uh, dealing with our local partners, uh, and especially when it comes to mail-related mail items, 
uh, in this particular case where he's getting mailings that are you know, he's deeming suspicious, uh, it's very common to be reached out to uh, by some of our local or other federal partners um, to ask you know, for our assistance in, in their investigation. That's, a, that's great. So now you paid a visit to uh, the recipient's home. What did the recipient say when you got to the home? They, that they had packages or that they were involved or what? Yeah, it was, um, it was very unique. Um, the uh, owners of that particular property told us, told law enforcement, that they had received several return items and that they had not sent the package to Dyer, Indiana but that they had received several return items associated with several mailings just like this one. So essentially we discovered there wasn't just one package with uh, containing plastic uh, wrapping inside of it, uh, but there were several packages that were sent out where their address was used as the return address. And inside those packages were several different random various items, typically garbage. We saw everything from soy sauce to straw wrappers to styrofoam, all kinds of things. Um, that's when I uh, really began to look hard into the investigation and start to f- try to figure out what, what it was that was going on. Imagine you open a packet, open a box, you think you got something great, but in, in return you got a package of uh, straws or soy sauce uh, to their surprise. I know they were probably shocked and not really knowing what to do, so I'm sure they were pleased that you contacted them. They were, uh, these days, people, you know, receive something they didn't order, um, and they open it up and they find, you know, something like that inside, it automatically, you know, it's suspicious to them. Either somebody's playing, playing a hoax on them or there's something nefarious going on they don't know. And, you know, like in this case, they, several occasions I discovered later in the investigation, local law enforcement was contacted on multiple occasions throughout the United States for these types of mailings. So, okay, so continue. So what happens once you, what did you do to investigate uh, this crime once you got these packages? What were, what were your next steps? So I provided uh, the packages I did know about now from uh, the address we had visited where we thought the package was mailed from and provided that information to my analyst. And she was able to use postal databases uh, to connect initially about 100 or so mailings uh, just on the on the surface of the case that were associated to my investigation to that one package in Dyer, now I have over a hundred packages associated with that one, um, and it wasn't just a specific location. These packages were going throughout the United States, so there wasn't you know a, a specific area I could tell where everything was being mailed to. We saw things going to California, we saw things going to Florida, Colorado, Texas, Minnesota, all over the place. So after she identified all these packages, I still was, wasn't sure as to who it was that was sending them. Uh, all, all we can tell based on our information the post office had is they were mailed from, from uh, places throughout central Florida, the Orlando area, uh, where they were mailed from. So through the investigation, we learned that there were other associated packages to those packages being sent out uh, that were going to a commercial mail receiving agency here locally. Um, and and before, not- before you move on, can you tell our, our listeners um, what's considered um, a CMRA, as we, like, as we call it? You know, we, we have an acronym for everything, but what's a CMRA? And just give them an example of what one would be. Sure. 
CMRA is uh, short for Commercial Mail Receiving Agency. And essentially what that would be would be like, uh, for example, a UPS store where you would have a P.O. box set up uh, that you would receive mail or UPS packages at that location. And we noticed with this case, several packages associated with our initial package were going to a CMRA, um, actually several uh, throughout Central Florida. Um, so I took that information, knowing that we had associated packages going to these CMRAs, and I went to those locations to determine who, in fact, owned those PO boxes that were receiving identical packages or packages like associated with my case. And that's, that's when I uh, stumbled across the name uh, Jolanta Kacharski. Jolanta Kacharski was listed as the PO box owners on I believe nine different CMRAs throughout Central Florida that we had active or accounts that were recently closed that were associated to her. So immediately we find that suspicious. Uh, I understand why somebody would have uh, use a PO box as a CMRA. I don't understand why somebody would use nine PO boxes at nine different CMRAs. I found that to be odd. So uh, we began to look into uh, that and we discovered several packages coming in from uh, different locations and I identified other packages being sent out and I began to call uh, individuals that were receiving some of these other packages and, and, and tried to find out why it is that somebody would be sending it. Because at this point, I really have no crime. I just have somebody who's sending people junk in the mail so that's not a crime so if there's no if you couldn't have linked this to a crime it would just would it just be considered a nuisance mailing it would be correct um that's that's essentially what they're doing and at that at that current time we really had no underlying reason to believe that or indication that for sure that there was some type of fraudulent activity although we assumed there was something nefarious behind it because nobody's going to send out hundreds of packages and pay the post office to send priority mailings out uh, almost what appeared to be uh, weekly on a weekly basis. Okay, unless there's something else involved. So, so you're, they're not going to spend money if they're not getting something in return. That's, Got it. That's right. So I finally received a break in the case when I was looking into one of the packages that we identified in the investigation. And I spoke with an individual, a postal customer um, in California, uh, and he was supposed to, re he actually was supposed to receive um, a mailing, uh, but that he did not receive. So essentially, I'll me back up first. Uh, what happened was, I see a mailing go out to an address in uh, Thousand Oaks, California, and it was associated to one of the mailings in my case. So I reached out to the victim, uh, let's call her Miss Smith, and Miss Smith informed me that she had received, just like the Dyer mailing, a package that was contained some styrofoam in it. She contacted the police uh, in, in, in her district, local police, to come out and look at the package to make sure that there was nothing wrong with it and why is it that somebody was sending her styrofoam. So a few days after that, she informed me, uh, she kept the package there for a couple of days, trying to figure out what to do with it, uh, and saw the return address was our same address here uh, locally that we had already identified. She was 
about three days later, she gets a knock on the door, and it's from another individual um, who said, hey, I, I was supposed to receive a package. I lived down the street, and um, I believe that the package was sent here to your address. Do you have it? And she says, well, actually, I got a package here that wasn't mine about three days ago, but it had styrofoam in it. And so she wrote down, fortunately for me, his information, uh, his name and phone number. So I, after hearing that, uh, reached out to uh, this person. Um, we'll call him Mr. Smith. And I asked Mr. Smith, I said, uh, Mr. Smith, I understand that you ordered something and you didn't receive it and somebody else received it and it ended up being styrofoam. Is that what you ordered? Did you order a piece of styrofoam? And he, he told me, he said, no, I actually, I ordered a, a Pet Boys gift card off of eBay for uh, valued about $300, but the gift card was for sale for $265. So I ordered that on eBay and had it shipped to me. And when I was tracking the package, I saw the package being delivered. But then when I went home to get it, the package wasn't there. So I went to my local post office and asked them, you know, hey, here's this tracking number. I, I don't understand, where's my package? And the post office said, no, that's, that package wasn't sent to your house. The tracking number on that was sent to a different address. And it looks like your neighbor's house down the street. So that's when Mr. Smith went to his neighbor's house and found out there was no Pet Boys gift card in that particular envelope. There was a piece of styrofoam. So that's when I realized that all these packages were more than likely associated to some type of eBay scam. Essentially, what I discovered was that these victims were ordering different gift cards, and, and mainly gift cards, there were a few other items online, and instead of them receiving their gift cards, the uh, suspect in this case was sending out packages with essentially uh, garbage in them, styrofoam, straw wrappers, whatever whatever uh, they could get their hands on to put inside that envelope to mail it. So were there ever any gift cards? There were never any gift cards. Wow. Oh, oh yeah, so I know all of the purchases that were made um, for all these gift cards, and there were all kinds. When I, I, you know, I started my investigation. This is just one victim I spoke to. I ended up speaking to probably over you know, 10 or 20 or so victims they end up telling me that, you know, it was all gift cards for either Barnes and Nobles or different, you know, um, different locations where you would typically get a gift card from. Uh, and apparently uh, these were, this, was, this was a scam. How they were able to try to, I learned, um, circumvent our, circumvent the system was that they were using the same, they had learned that if they used the same zip code, and city that the person that was supposed to receive the package, when you track it online and you receive a tracking number through eBay or wherever you purchase from, you're able to see the city state zip code that the package is going to, assuming when you make a purchase of a gift card or whatever else online, that that package is coming to you. But in fact, when you look at it, when you track it, you discover soon that um, when you don't receive it and the package didn't come to you, we're, we're delivering it as we were supposed to, as we were told to do, but it's just one layer of protection that the perpetrator in this case used to hide where, in fact, the, the, the real package was going. And it makes it more difficult also because as I speak to the victims and identify other packages, they tell me that 
after they don't receive it, they're filing fraud complaints with eBay, and they're saying, you know, hey, I, I ordered this gift card, and I never received it, and it's, <clears throat> excuse me, I can't find it, so uh, I went to the post office, and the post office said it wasn't shipped to my house. And when they file a complaint with eBay, the e eBay automatically goes to, I discovered, goes right to the seller saying, you know, did you send the package? And the seller provides the tracking number. So eBay provides that information back to the original complainant saying, hey, our seller provided a tracking number and we're looking at it and it's, it's an app, you know, it's the same city, state, and zip. So all eBay knows is something was sent and it was sent to the same city, city, state, and zip code as the victim who was supposed to receive the gift card. So it creates an extra layer and some time that my suspect would need to withdraw the funds, see, because they were using PayPal. So when you make a purchase on eBay, typically you're using PayPal to make that purchase and transfer money from one person to another. And there's holds on accounts, especially if you're a new eBay user and stuff, security measures that they, that they have in place that doesn't allow just a transaction to happen. You pay somebody for that transaction and you take the money out right away. So what actually happens is, um, providing that tracking number provided enough time for that grace period, uh, for that money being held to be released. And then this person, the perpetrator in this case, could use the funds. Once, okay, you, you have her name, you, who you know is mailing the items, you now know that it's an eBay scam. So what, what happened next? What, what, how did you approach the person? What did you do to determine um, to, for sure that it was a scam? Well, we learned through, when we learned from eBay that it was obviously an eBay scam, and eBay was very cooperative, but they gave us information, uh, they gave us PayPal's information as you know the way that the funds were being transferred. PayPal actually helped out because they were able to tell us that all the fraudulent funds they were receiving, the bad guy was purchasing silver with it. Um, our perpetrator made several purchases of silver from several different precious metal companies and were being sent to those same CMRAs that we had associated those other packages to. So I set up a surveillance. Uh, now this is probably about April. And we set up a surveillance on uh, the CMRA where we knew that somebody was receiving possibly Jolanta Kucharski was receiving silver at her CMRA. We were told that one of the purchases that was just made fraudulently um, from a, a gift card that didn't exist, we learned that there was a package of silver coming into this CMRA. So we set up and watched and we seen her arrive uh, after about three days. Uh, she finally came to pick up a package which we knew contained silver. And I wanted to see where she was going with that, so we followed her back to her residence. Uh, and we seen her go in uh, with the silver, and that was enough for us uh, to get a search warrant for her house, which we, which we did. So when you got the search warrant, what did you find? We found several mailings inside. Uh, we found um, envelopes in there uh, where she was using to mail out the priority mail stuff. We found eBay information. Uh, we also interviewed uh, Jolanta Kacharski and her son, Brian Kacharski, who was actually the mastermind behind the operation. Uh, we discovered Brian was the one who was actually on eBay doing the transaction, setting up the new eBay accounts, uh, utilizing people's 
personal information to create PayPal accounts and eBay accounts and then shipping these packages ever. And he had his mother running out, sending out these packages to these random locations to try to disguise and further into this scheme. So when you when you caught them, did the mother try to say that she really wasn't involved or did she could she get out of that at all? Initially, she denied a lot of uh, some of my questions, but ultimately cooperated with us and uh, kind of gave us the story as to what it was they were doing, um, which ultimately put a stop to their to their activities. Of course, this was after we discovered there was over 500 or so victims in this case that their information was being used to create these accounts and stuff. And when I asked them, you know, where were you getting this information? They they told me peoplefinder.com and they were actually using sex offender registry websites to gather some information for people to use. Wow, so your, so your information, you have to protect it every way you can or somebody could use it in a scam. That's true. Uh, it's it's unfortunate, but with data breaches today, a lot of our information is already out there, and just regular, you know, just regular search engines used on the internet, they were able to get enough information to create these accounts. Uh, just for paying twenty dollars, then you have access to a whole lot of information for people. Unfortunately, so they were arrested. I would assume they were. They were indicted here in uh, Central Florida, federally. Um, and have both been uh, have both pled to plea agreements and been sentenced since then. Well, what were their sentences? And what were, first, what was the loss amount? Um, is there a, was there like thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars? We were we were a little over a hundred thousand dollars when the the case was over. That of the packages that we could find, a lot of, we found a lot of the information that we had. Um, from the beginning of the case was was older, so it was difficult for us to contact or locate or know every single package that was associated to the case. And of course, they didn't keep detailed records for us to be able to see all the packages that they sent. Um, but we, we had over $100,000 in loss and over 500 or so victims. Were any of, uh, was restitution ever made to any of the victims? Restitution was ordered by the court for them to pay back uh, to eBay, PayPal, and some of the victims that weren't reimbursed by eBay or PayPal. Because you have to remember that when they filed a complaint, when the customers filed a complaint with eBay, sometimes they were referred to PayPal to try to file the complaint with them. So they were bounced around a little bit and had some difficulty. So we still had about a third or so of our victims that were involved in the case that we did identify that weren't made whole yet by eBay or PayPal, so we had a, a number of uh, restitution orders that were ordered for not only the eBay, not only PayPal, but for the individual victim as well. Wow, this case was so essentially, in, to summarize it, what they were doing is sending out, people would order off eBay these gift cards, and instead of sending them the gift card, which really didn't exist, they would send them styrofoam, but send it to a neighbor's house. And by the time the person figured it out, they had already paid. So they didn't get their gift card because there was actually no gift card. And they just made money off the scam so they could go buy silver and then resell it, essentially, correct? Yeah, we learned later that after they received the silver, I asked, Where, where's all the silver at now? And essentially it was, it was sold. Apparently silver has a pretty good 
return rate, something like 5% loss if you buy silver, resell it. So it holds its value pretty well, and that's essentially how they were laundering their money. Wow. So in this case, not only had fraud, but it had a little money laundering involved in it, too. So it was kind of hard. I mean, I mean, how does someone um, come up? I mean, was was she or he, the son, a prolific uh, scammer or how, how did they how does someone come up with something like this? I mean, because there was a lot of detail to avoid detection. You're right. And um, I provided all that information to eBay at the end of it to help them, you know, further their systems to try to catch more of that that stuff from happening. But um, I, I sat down with uh, Mr. and Mrs. Kacharski and discussed, you know, that specifically with them. And apparently prior to, you know, him committing all the fraud, he was selling things on eBay legitimately and went to garage sales and uh, would find things he thought were valuable and sell them online and had a small business, I guess, doing it. Uh, but apparently the business wasn't profitable enough to where he turned, uh, he threw all my chat forums and stuff. He slowly picked up on, you know, how he could get around, uh, certain postal systems or e eBay systems and to try to trick, you know, trick people to find gift cards that didn't exist. Uh, and he'd come up with a scheme. So this kind of has a little bit of cyber through the chat rooms, a little cyber element involved as well. Absolutely, he perfected his scheme by looking at chat forums and stuff online uh, on the dark web and other places to see sort of, you know, to, to see sort of how he could disguise what he was doing and, and help to essentially get away with it. Um, I think just the, the pure magnitude of the amount of things that they were mailing is what, what ultimately got him caught. I mean, it just was, they were mailing so many items that within a week I could, I was pulling video of Jolanta Gacharski at, you know, five or six different post offices in one day. Uh, I had video of her mailing out, you know, six packages from five different locations. Uh, so it's, you know, that it's just very prolific. So eventually you're going to get caught. You took the words right out of my mouth. Very prolific. I was thinking, wow, this is a, it's uh, it's unbelievable that someone would commit a scam like this, but well, I guess it's not unbelievable to an extent when you work for the Postal Inspection Service, you see it all the time, but still the, the level of uh, detail and, you know, um, the the magnitude of what was um, sent out to, um, but I guess, when, you know, when you want money, you do whatever it is, I guess you they figure it to um, get it instead of just getting a, going out and doing a, an honest nine to five, but uh, so they were arrested, and um, how how long of a sentence did they get? Because it was a federal sentence, correct? It was a federal offense. So because it was Yolanta's and Brian's first first offense, uh, not only federally but state, um, they did show some leniency on them, and they 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 got some house arrest and some probation time, uh, but they are now convicted felons. Uh, for for their activities, right. So they now will wear. It's like I guess you could say a scarlet letter uh, anywhere they go because that that stays on with them for the rest of their lives. It does. You you lose a lot of rights when you get convicted of a felony. And wow. So.
So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, with this time of year where people are buying and gift cards, I know a lot of times um, people go online to buy a gift card. They may, you know, it might be a $500 gift, dollar gift card, but they want to get it cheaper, so it might be $425. Uh, what advice would you give, what tips would you give um, a consumer that's looking to purchase gift cards at a discount? Well, I learned in this particular case, and it's there are multiple reasons why somebody would sell a gift card online for cheaper than its value. Um, it, it happens often. Uh, I know there's websites that are even dedicated to it, but on specifically eBay, you just want to be careful and take a good look at the seller and like in this case where the seller had, you know, was a, a new seller, he would have to create an account every second time he did a transaction because there was reported as fraud. So they're constantly shutting down the 90 to 100 or so eBay accounts that we found in his name or associated to him. So take a good look at the seller and make sure that they're, you know, they have other transactions and this isn't their first one or their second one and that you know they've been on for a while and that they can be reputable and trusted. Uh, eBay does a good, good job of you know, putting that person's reputation on there and their transaction history and stuff so that you know you're buying from somebody that you're actually gonna receive what it is that you're ordering. I, you know, I always liken this to when you're buying something like buyer beware, caveat emptor, you know, make sure you do your, like you said, you do your homework before you send your money because a lot of times, uh, you won't get it back if you if it's caught in a scam and if you do it's not you're not going to get it back a month later so uh, be, because it has to go through the uh, the arrest the prosecution all that that entire cycle before any restitution is made and a lot of times it's not the full amount correct yes and and talking with the victims they were frustrated it was a frustrating process when you, you order something online that you don't receive and you tell the person that you ordered it from, like eBay, hey, I never received it, and they're telling you, yes, you did, here's the tracking number. You have to go and pretty much do your own investigation in order to prove that you know you never received what it was that you were supposed to get. And it's a frustrating process, and we found several of the victims gave up, and that's why you know we had individual victims, not just eBay and PayPal in this case, because some of the victims gave up from filing a complaint because their complaints were denied. So it's, it was a very frustrating experience for some of the customers that, you know, they told us, since the post office helped in trying to recover some of their funds because we were able to prove that, you know, they, yes, there was a tracking number, but that tracking number didn't go to this person it was supposed to go to. Wow. So, yeah, thank you very much, Inspector Johnson. I really appreciate that, you know. Uh, once again, you just have to, you know, you have to do your homework before you spend money. So, and the other thing I think we should let uh, folks know is that if they use the U.S. mail and it's, you know, they don't get something in the mail they believe they're supposed to receive, you know, not, you know, wait a day or two, but if they spent money for an item, they don't receive the item and they sent it through the mail or it was supposed to come in the mail, they should contact postal inspectors. Uh, because that, that helps us I always report it because we could be investigating. The other thing is, is that if we're not, maybe we will be able to uh, conduct an investigation. Is that correct? It is, and it, it's, you make a very good point. It's so important to report it, uh, and our online forum is just the best way because we receive those leads and tips and stuff from our headquarters, and sometimes your missing package can lead to 
another missing package or an open investigation that we're already working and can provide additional details. And just because you don't hear from us doesn't mean that we're not investigating or that we're looking into it because it's a good chance that it's something that we're already working. So, yes, it's very important. I agree with you 100%. Well, wow. <laughs> I keep saying wow because this case, this case amazed me, and that's why I wanted to um, put it on the podcast because I thought – no, I, I don't. I listeners, I wanted them to know just how devious the a scammer can be. You know, something that was so innocent can turn out to be something that's, uh, I guess, nefarious. You know, their behavior. So, uh, well, thank you once again for coming on to the podcast. Um, this is uh, another episode of uh, Behind the Badge, ripped from the case files of postal inspectors. Stay tuned for the next episode. We always bring you uh, good information you can use so and very interesting information. So uh, once again, enjoy the podcast and don't forget to subscribe. You can click the subscribe button above or you can go to iTunes. Thanks so much, Inspector Johnson. Thank you for listening, everyone, and have a great day. Behind the Badge, ripped from the case files, is brought to you by the United States Postal Inspection Service. For more information or to learn more about postal inspectors, please visit USPIS.gov. Or to file a complaint, call 877-876-2455.